This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Yesterday provided a cautionary tale with a quarterback that the league may be about to give up on. But the story behind that quarterback actually impacts every single team looking at quarterbacks in the draft right now. It's Fitz and Harry at ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance, 888-SAY-ESPN. If you want to chime in on the Lakers, we've been letting you do that. We will continue to let you do that, 888-729-3776. But Harry, big news yesterday uh, for some came in the way of the Commanders releasing Carson Wentz after just one season. The move saves Washington $26.176 million on the salary cap. He had two years left on his contract, but no guaranteed money. This move made a lot of sense for Washington, but the reason it is significant isn't just because Carson Wentz is gone. I mean, I don't think a lot of people are losing sleep, NFL fan-wise, from that. It's the other side of it. Trey Wingo pointed out yesterday, uh, this is his quote, it's a cautionary tale on drafting a quarterback too high. Of the top two quarterbacks taken in 2015, 16, 17 drafts, only one is still on the team that drafted him, Patrick Mahomes. That means the other quarterbacks in 15, 16, and 17, every quarterback named 15, named, not named Patrick Mahomes in 15, 16, 17 that was taken as a top two quarterback off the board isn't even with their team anymore. And we're sitting here today watching measurements for guys like Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, presuming that one of them is going to wake up and be a franchise saver when the numbers will actually show you you have a better chance of getting Carson Wentz in the next draft than you do of Joe Burrow. Well, I would even add one more year to that. I would add 2018 as well because you talk about now you're talking about Baker Mayfield and also Sam Darnold. So oh, 2015, yeah. 16, 17, and 18 are the years that, 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 that we're working with right now. But Fitz, that's probably why you know me and you lean more on the side of, hey, if you have an opportunity to go get Lamar Jackson, go trade for him. Because there's so much unknown with these guys. And yes, you know you love what they've done at the college level, but then some of them, you don't know how they're going to pan out. Now, I trust what I've seen from Bryce Young. I don't care what anybody say because I've seen that up close in person. Mm-hmm. Also, I've seen C.J. Stroud, and I've seen the NFL throws that he made. But anybody else, I think it's more so projecting what they can be and the potential that they have behind them versus what we actually seen on the football field from these guys. And when you say projecting, I think this is the most important part of this projection. Projection not only presumes that a player will develop, it presumes that the coaches are in place that can help Mm -hmm. that player develop. When you are drafted at the top of the draft, most of the time, breaking news, you go to a team that sucks. And when you go to a team that sucks, they probably don't have great coaches. Even if they do have great coaches, while you're trying to go through the rebuild, you're going to watch all of these coaches get fired anyway, and they're going to bring in new coaches. So all of a sudden, when we're in a world where this kid was drafted because of his projections on ability to develop, now all of a sudden you're asking a bunch of people that may not even be in the room in two years to continue that development to be responsible for it. Like All of this is just maddening at some point, and it's part of the, the equation to why so many quarterbacks picked high fail. And here's what I want, you know, our listeners and our viewers to understand about guys getting drafted in professional sports, period. It's all about fit and what's the best, best fit for your skill set and, and your professional career. You wonder why you may, you may not hear much from a player his first three years in the, uh, in the lead, and next thing you know, he becomes a free agent. In the next five years, he balls out. 
well, maybe the coaching staff and the fit for that new team was better for him more so than the first team that drafted him. So fit means everything. A coaching staff and uh, your right position coach, right offensive coordinator, right head coach, all these things play a major factor on top of ownership. You know, the team owner, general manager, and also the team president. These things have to be intact, especially for these young guys that you're projecting and drafting off of potential. They have to be in situations to where they can thrive and actually get great coaching and work on their skill set to become great at their craft. But, but here's what's, what's just stunning to me about the world. And I know the way the world works. I can't change it, Harry. But imagine if, if all of a sudden, you know, we work for ESPN. You know, imagine if all of a sudden every single employee was just out the door because of ESPN's profits. And then all of a sudden we were all sharing the blame like we must individually suck because ESPN. Imagine if you're a Disney employee and all of a sudden you must individually stink because Disney's not there. Imagine if you work for GM or Ford or whatever company it is. And all of a sudden that company's profits are the only way that you're viewed to be successful. Like we don't do that in anything other than sports. But in sports, we look at it and say, well, everybody must be a perfect fit in every situation. Like it, it takes a lot for a player to fail it takes a lot for a team to fail and there's a lot of blame that has to go around all the way across like you can be the best at what you individually do but if you're not in the right system with the right coaches and the right organization with the right people around you you're probably not going to be successful and we oversimplify everything because the perception is if you're an athlete you must be great at everything that you're asked to do as an athlete like the variables are all a huge part of this. Is Carson Wentz to blame for his failure? Yes. I'm not saying he's not. But are the is the Washington football team part of that equation? Is Indianapolis part of that equation? Uh, you, you go up and down the list. Like uh, You can look at a lot of people that Carson Wentz failed, but you can also look at a lot of people that failed Carson Wentz. And that's usually the story around quarterbacks that don't do well. I, I would say quarterbacks and I would say a lot, a lot of other players. Uh, position players, players in general. Well, that's a good man. point. Because, I mean, I've seen it with my own eyes. Um, I've seen Ricardo Allen, who used to be the starting safety for the Atlanta Falcons and play a significant role in, you know, getting to the Super Bowl in which they lost to the New England Patriots. I've seen him when I was there with Atlanta, and no one really thought highly of him. So he was on practice squad. Next thing you know, new coaching staff comes in, he becomes the starting safety, right? And, and he's the leader of that defense. Now he's coaching with the Miami Dolphins because of his leadership and how much he knows about the game of football. Now, so you see the difference in one coaching staff? In one year, a guy was on practice squad, and next thing you know, a new coaching staff comes in and he becomes a starting safety. That's, that's how quickly it can happen. And what one person or one group may think is trash may be treasure for someone else, and they may understand how to utilize that player to the best of his uh, abilities and his potential. I've said this a million times on radio, but, you know, I go back to my music days and I was a classical violinist that became a, a country music uh, touring person. I'm terrible at bluegrass, like traditional bluegrass music. I am terrible at now what I played. And it, when I played the style that I played, I, I was among the best at what I did. I'm very proud of the work that I did. But if you'd have made me the fiddle player in a bluegrass band, I would have been awful. And people would have walked out of that room and been like, that dude just can't play. It's not that I can't play. It's that I don't play that style well. So all of a sudden, you put me in like a rock pop country group. Now this is a style I play really well, where also I'm really comfortable doing what I do. And, and then suddenly I'm doing it at an elite level. And I feel confident. And the people around me feel confident. And all of a sudden, I'm playing 
playing on records and I'm playing all over the world. And like part of that comes from that's just real life, whether whether you work in a factory, whether you make spreadsheets for a living, like you got to be in a situation where you know what you're good at. The people around you need to find ways to take what you're good at and there be great go. at that. There you go. And that's the difference between good coaching, mediocre coaching and great coaching. Right. Because the great coaches they're going to understand and put you in the best positions to become successful and exploit your strengths, never your weaknesses, right? That's a part of coaching. And I, and I hate when, when guys at the coaching level say, hey, this is my system. This is the way we do it. Well, just because it's your system don't mean it's going to be right for that player. Maybe you need to alter a little something within your system. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. you got to know every single person on your roster and what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are and put them in the best positions to become successful on that football field. When you don't do that, now you're deemed as not a great coach. You've also got to have enough continuity. And I always go back to the first time I ever interviewed Adam Schefter uh, for my podcast at the time that you know was brand new, trying to make it in the world. And I asked Schefter, I was like, what's the difference between a good team and a bad team? Why are some teams so bad so often? And he said, continuity. The best teams find a way to manage continuity in culture, find a way to manage con continuity in front office, you think about if you were drafted by the Texans for the last couple of years, like I want whoever's drafted to be wildly successful. But if you just look at what we've seen in the last four or five years, chances are whoever's picked number two overall in Houston is going to have three or four head coaches in the first five years of their career and no continuity. And, and you look at these situations and say, man, between the can this player develop combined with will this organization provide continuity, man, it is. It is wild how much we're going to presume goes right this week in Indy and goes right at the draft you and I will cover at the end of April and how little of it is actually going to work out. It's just funny to me, though, Fitz, because I'm up here thinking about, you know, different things. It's like you have a running back, right? And you know your running back is great at running inside zone, but you keep sending him on outside zone plays. Why? Or you have a receiver that you know isn't good at running go routes, and uh, wonderful at running curl routes and slants and comebacks and stuff like that. But you want to keep sending them, sending them on go routes and wonder why he, the ball's not getting caught. Self-explanatory. You got to understand the strengths of your players, man. It's that simple. It is no different than in this business if they decide. Everybody that's ever listened to me on radio knows that my reading is 50-50 at best half the time, right? You suddenly want to put Fitz and Harry, instead of having us do this, hand us shot sheets full of a bunch of, you know, full-on Russian names and having us call, like, deep-dive hockey matchups we haven't seen anything about with no prep, and then afterwards they'll be like, these two guys suck. Well, of course, <laughs> we weren't put in a situation to succeed, even if you're trying to phonetically spell it out for me. I'm like, that's me. Yeah, I got nothing, right? Like, there's no difference here with the players. It's going to be interesting. Uh, we'll keep breaking down the news that we get, by the way, speaking of quarterbacks from the Combine. Uh, we're waiting to get confirmed reports on Bryce Young. We know that he is going to measure in today. Might be one of the most important things that happened at the Combine. We've seen some unconfirmed. We'll get you confirmed as soon as we have it. Plus, Mel Kuyper will join us in a little bit. We'll see what his thoughts are now that he's out in, uh, now that he's out in Indy getting ready for it. That'll be in about 15 minutes. In the meantime, we want to keep hearing from you. 888-SAY-ESPN-888-729-3776. Can the Lakers still make the playoffs without LeBron being out there for an extended amount of time? We'll tell you next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast.
It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz. The latest on LeBron from Woj. LeBron James' right foot is expected to be reassessed in two weeks. Again, reassessed in two weeks to see how much progress he's made. But timeline on return expected to extend beyond that checkpoint. So just that sentence alone tells you it'll be reassessed in two weeks, but he should not be expected to be available in two weeks. The rest of his statement says... Where Lakers reside in standings by then could impact how soon it makes sense for him to return. Right? So that's telling you everything you need to know. It's two weeks. He'll be reassessed, not expected to be ready. Once they know in that reassessment where he is, depending on where the Lakers are in the standings, they will then try and make a judgment of when LeBron can come back. That's how I'm reading that latest statement from Woj. The question is, what's it mean for the Lakers? Uh, Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, you guys are chiming in. Triple eight, say ESPN. 888-729-3776. Before we get to our esteemed callers, Devin uh, is sitting in the producer's seat uh, today. Devin, producer extraordinaire. We were talking earlier about D'Angelo Russell. Like, does he feel some some pressure to come back? And I just, I figured we should go to Devin on this because for anyone that doesn't know, Devin and I are on the same intramural volleyball team and he was injured for the last game and just simply didn't show up because he said he was injured. <laughs> so I'm just wondering, Devin, like Hold when up. you're an elite athlete like you are, do you feel pressure that you're maybe you're letting your team Let me turn the tables on you there, Fitz. Today's, it snowed a little bit in Connecticut. Mark lives in Connecticut, who's on the board. I live in Connecticut. We both made it into work. Where are you at, Fitz? Well, I'm sitting in my house. I mean, <laughs> why are you sitting in your house? Well, because I looked at the roads and I was like, nah. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, but, uh, okay. But I, you see that that's deflection but Devin, right you, there. You have to answer the question. Did that put yeah, a little did, bit? Did you feel so pressure? Perturbed by the question, I didn't even hear what you asked. Ask I mean, the, the team lost. You weren't there, and I'm just wondering when the team lost without you there because of an air quotes injury. Did you feel pressure to come back earlier from your air quotes injury, knowing that you were letting your team down? I'm just trying to get the mindset of an elite athlete that knows their team needs them. Um, yeah, as soon as I saw you guys lost, I did feel guilty because I the the, yeah. the result might have been different. If I was there, actually, probably not. Might have it probably would have been different. If I was there, so yes, the pressure was on for sure. <laughs> okay, Devin right, is well, something we'll, else, man. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, remember, Devin but, 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 is also. But I, but I will I will say this though: D'Angelo Russell has to handle his injury the proper way. Um, and, and I say that from experience, right, Fitz? I, I, I think I was silly uh, once upon a time in my career in, in trying to come back too fast because we had another star receiver go down. Uh, plus, we were trying to make this playoff run, and I just knew I probably should have waited a week and a half or two later before I actually returned. So uh, in D'Angelo Russell's case, don't go out on that basketball court until you know your, you know, your health is, is where you want to be or where you think it should be to compete at a high level on the basketball court. Well, especially given the crop of games they have coming up, you'd rather see an athlete wait a couple of games if that's what it takes to feel like they can be more of themselves for longer than to come back and then be a shell of themselves for a long period of time. Like, the Lakers don't just need bodies. They need effective bodies on the floor, and that's a much different conversation. You guys are chiming in. Triple eight, say ESPN, 888-729-3776. All right, let's go to James in Dayton. What's your take? On the Lakers and LeBron. What you got, man? James. There we go. Hey, buddy. What you got? Hello? Yep, you're on you the air. James? James, what you got? Uh, it's actually John. I'm, I'm from uh, Louisville, Sorry, Kentucky. Shout out, Harry oh. Douglas. That one C4, baby. Uh, That's right, baby. So I just want to say, as far as the Lakers, y'all got y'all to gotta stop sleeping on all this talent they already have on the team. 
you know, they picked up some pretty effective shooters. We've seen what Vandy can do in the last game. AR-15, Austin Reeves, this team can hoop. They're young. They can contend with other teams. It's all going to come down to AD. If AD don't show up, like we have not seen him show up in the last two, three years, or if he gets re-injured, it's wraps. But as a Lakers fan, you know, I'm a diehard LeBron fan, but as a Lakers fan, I still got to have hope for this team because, I mean, I'm a fan. That's what you got to do. Oh, see, John, I wish I, John, I, hold on. Let me I, ask John a question really quick, John. So they play the Memphis Grizzlies tonight, right? And Memphis is a right? top six defensive team. Who are they right? going to get their scoring from at a very, very high level outside of Anthony Davis? Outside of Anthony Davis? Yeah. I mean, we've seen Austin Reeves come up in big games. I think he is an up-and-coming player. That Like Alex Caruso, I think if they let him go at any point, they are done. Uh, I think Vanderbilt has proven that he can hoop, not just in L.A. Uh, I, mean, I mean, you can't d- even d- sleep d- on Dennis Schroeder. Okay. Uh, you know, look, I really appreciate the call. I genuinely appreciate the call. But, Harry, like you keep saying these guys can hoop. Of course they can. They're in the NBA. And this is like any given night in the NBA, anybody can go off. Sure. Cool, 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 cool. Like, I understand that these guys can, air quotes, hoop. Uh, but I'm not going to put those that, that group of guys out on the floor and then look at them and say, oh, yeah, they're a top six team. Like, there's a difference between, oh, these guys are better than what we had before. Okay, cool. Like, that still doesn't mean you're good enough, Harry. Like, tell me oh, I'm wrong. Well, but- here, well here's the key, the key piece, though. You don't have LeBron James to take a lot of pressure off a lot, a, a lot of these guys as well. So LeBron James is out. When LeBron James is on the floor, he takes a lot of pressure off of Anthony Davis, off of, of Malik Beasley, off of D'Angelo Russell, off of everyone who's on that Lakers roster. LeBron James is not walking through the door right now because he has a foot injury. I don't see a lot of these guys being able to create on their own, getting their own shot versus a tenacious style defense in the Memphis Grizzlies and what they like to play. Yeah, this I don't see is it happening. This is one of those, and I appreciate what he said about, look, I'm a fan, and as a fan, I got to believe, I, I don't know, I mean, I've got a, I've got more Raiders gear. I, I actually had to move it all over to a separate closet. I've got a separate closet full of Raiders gears, uh, but there's a certain time in every season where I realize, usually it's by week four, uh, that my season's lost, right? Like, if I'm a Lakers fan, this is, this is the time where I'm just putting everything up in the closet. I'm like, hey, man, it was a good run. We'll, we'll. We'll see you next year. I'm, I'm out completely. By the way, Tim McMahon, ESPN NBA reporter, was on Freddie and Fitzsimmons last night. This is what he said about the Lakers and if they could make the play-in without LeBron. If they make the play-in tournament, could they be a dangerous first-round opponent or a team that can earn a playoff spot? Sure, if, if LeBron's healthy and if Anthony Davis is healthy. Unfortunately, uh, those two guys aren't healthy together very often. And, you know, this is one where it wasn't clear what exactly happened. Like, he he didn't step on anybody. It didn't turn in a funny way. The ABC microphones heard him say, I heard a pop. But he was able to finish the game, finish the game strong. And then, you know, obviously the uh, the Lakers medical staff didn't like what it saw today. And he's going to get further opinions. But it sounds like he's going to be out for at least a few weeks. And, you know, I'm not saying that totally sinks the Lakers' chances of uh, being a play-in team. But it, uh, it sure doesn't help them. There isn't a lot of sense of optimism right now. But tonight could change a lot of that. In fairness, tonight could change the way a lot of people see this Lakers team depending on the statement they make against Memphis. We'll keep breaking it down, but we need to break down next from Mel Kuyper. His latest mock draft is is out. He'll join us next to make sense of the quarterback movement as the combine is underway in Indy. 
Fitz and Harry, the podcast. Everybody you pay attention to in the NFL is headed to Indianapolis for the scouting combine. And all eyes are going to be on not just teams, but also individual players. And of course, ever more than ever, the measurements of some of those players. It's Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Also, we all know the game isn't over till it's over. So next time you need parts for your car, don't call it quits. Just go to eBay Motors. They have 122 million parts to take your car into overtime. Get the right parts at the right prices. eBayMotors.com. Let's ride. Harry Douglas, Jason Fitz, we're about to ride into a bigger Wolfpack our guy, Mel Kuyper Jr., joining the Wolfpack at this point. ESPN NFL draft analyst, a slam day for him. Check out the first draft podcast, one of our best, and something I'm proud to have gotten to do a few times with Mel. Mel, always appreciates your time, man. Give me some sort of context on how concerned everybody should be about the measurements for Bryce Young. What are we looking for? What should we expect? Well, great to be with you guys. I think the big thing is the weight, more so than the height. He's 5'10 and a half, fine. We've had that. Quarterbacks that size have been successful. But the weight, when you combine it with the height, puts the size in totality at a point where we've never had that in the first round of the NFL draft for a quarterback. So he's the ultimate outlier. I mean, to draft an outlier, you know, a lot of GMs won't do that. I've talked to a couple teams said no. They could not take a quarterback his size with the number one pick overall. So for me – I put it at 195. If he's 195 or higher, I'll make him QB1. If he's not 195, he's QB2, and Will Levis from Kentucky is QB1. So some teams may have 200 pounds. A couple teams told me I should have had that at 200, not 195. So with anybody that tells you the size, the weight isn't an issue with Bryce Young, it's just not accurate. Emil, you have Bryce Young going to the Houston Texans, and we all know, you know what's, what's been going on with that organization the last few years. Are there any concerns uh, from Bryce Young's standpoint in being able to develop with the Houston Texans moving forward? No, I think you go wherever you're picked, and you look at Burrow. Remember all these, oh, you can't go to Cincinnati. They've never won. Well, I dispelled that when I talked about all the success they had with Kenny Anderson, Boomer and Carson Palmer, Andy Dalton. Yeah, they didn't win Super Bowls, but they got to a couple. And if you're a great quarterback and, and you know they're doing a Derek Stingley Jr., look at what Petrie did. Look at that secondary they're developing there. And they've had success with Deshaun Watson. And, again, when David Carr, they didn't help out. That's why David Carr didn't have success there. But Deshaun had, uh, Watson had, had success there. Um, to me, no, I don't think he'll worry at all about that i think you know the bottom line is will houston make that move from two to one or will they just say hey we got we need we had holes we have to fill in this team we're not going to go up any draft picks to go from two to one we'll just take the quarterback falls to us and whoever you don't take at one we're going to take our next one may end up being our qb1 because nobody's in agreement on these quarterbacks so that's where houston is it has to figure out is that number one quarterback worth going up to get or is it okay just to stand pat at two and let somebody else take that quarterback at one and we'll get whoever one is left over we're okay with. Mel's mock is out right now on ESPN.com. And again, he's got the Texans trading up to number one to get Bryce Young. He's got the Colts moving up to number two to take uh, C.J. Stroud. But you just mentioned that everybody split on these quarterbacks. Even if it seems shocking to some of us, if you're a team that, that's in love with Anthony Richardson or Will Levis, any of these quarterbacks, do you essentially need to go all in on trading up all the way to number one simply because we are so divided and we have no idea who's going to be there at two? Well, divided by the, the number one, but that doesn't mean that you're not strong on your own number one. And you say, okay, I love this guy. i got to go get him. I'll give you an example. When Cleveland took Baker Mayfield, it was between Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen. 
They almost took Josh Allen. It was between those two. Darnold went next. They weren't even considering Darnold. Josh Allen went third, and the Bills trade up to get him. So, you know, if you're, if teams are all over the place on these quarters. I talked to a team where C.J. Stroud is the number one quarterback. Okay, so if you look at it and you say, okay, but if, if you love one of the of the group of four and you don't like necessarily the other three, you're going to have to go get them, okay, because you need that young quarterback. So that's where we stand with these guys. It's not that you like one or the other, but if you like one a little bit more than the others, you've got to go get them. Now I want to talk about the Chicago Bears and your mock draft. You have them at four, um, trading back in, in those regards, taking mm-hmm. Jalen Carter. How quickly do you think the Chicago Bears – you know, can fill out their roster with the combined cap space and the draft picks that they accumulate uh, trading backwards. That would be a great deal for them. If they could move back to two and then to four, get those draft picks, fill holes on the D-line, get Carter, add another defensive lineman, get some help on the O-line, get some receivers to help out Justin Fields, that's a bonanza for the Bears. If they can pull that off. Now, even if they can just move down one spot, or down the fourth spot with Indy. That's still a bonanza because it's going to guarantee them a defensive player of their choice. If it's not Carter, it'll be Will Anderson Jr. So they're, they're guaranteed. Now, I contend they would prefer Jalen Carter. They need an interior dominator, and he is that kind of guy. He's my number one player on the board right now. But you can't lose if you're the Bears. You drop the four, two quarterbacks are gone. One of the two defensive players has to be there for you at four. Yeah, I, I loved that about your mock, Mel, just because of my man crush on Jalen Carter's play is, is very real. You mentioned that Will Levis is somebody high on your board. Seems to be a split between Will Levis and Anthony Richardson to a lot of players, but they both have accuracy issues. What is it about the, the, that you've seen that separates Will Levis from Anthony Richardson specifically? Well, Richardson has a lot more accuracy issues than Will does. Will's, Will's issue isn't accuracy. It's more at times just taking chances because his team was behind. Kentucky was outmanned this year. Their offensive line was horrible. He got pounded. He, had, he, he was injured from head to toe. They lost Wondell Robinson to the NFL. Their running back was suspended the first four games. So he didn't have anything around them, and he got beat up. Uh, but in 2021, he was outstanding. Uh, if he had, had duplicated 2021 this year, we wouldn't have this discussion. He'd be ahead of Bryce Young and be the number one pick guaranteed. But he didn't because because of the injury. So do you throw that year out? I contend you should. That's why I have Will Levis right there with Bryce Young. If Bryce Young's not 195, Will Levis is my QB1. The difference between Will is going to be 24 years of age and Anthony Richardson, who's young. Anthony Richardson started 13 football games. That right there is enough for GMs in the NFL to cross him off your list and say, we're not drafting him. Okay? Mel- Some will say Bryce Young's too small. Some will say, I'm not drafting a quarterback with only 13 starts. Mel, give me the one player that could help their draft stock at the Combine. I think it's Joey. I don't know if it'll be at the Combine or during the individual, okay, the pro day, but Joey Porter Jr., heck of a player at Penn State. There's questions. He's going to run a 4.52, 4.59. If he runs closer to 4.5, he jumps way up there. And I put him at 17 with the idea, let's see what he runs. But if he runs well, he could jump into the top 10. So I think Joey Porter Jr. And Jackson Smith and Jigba, who didn't play this year, wide receiver Ohio State, needs to have a nice workout as well, certainly to solidify either wide receiver one or wide receiver two. Uh, so those will be a couple guys that, that come to mind right away. Uh, Mel, the most important thing we're going to ask you the whole time is how spicy is too spicy for the shrimp cocktail sauce in Indy? Like, it's famous for it, but it's just too much for me, Mel. Hey, <laughs> I'll 
I'll bring crab cakes from Maryland. How about that? I'll whip you on the sauce there. But hey, I, I, my attitude with with the combine is this: the pro days. If you wait till we were asked this this morning, if you wait till a pro day and you don't work out at the combine, is that a bad thing? No, it's not. You want if you want to be comfortable in your own environment, have time to rest, get ready. You know, it's on your turf. It's with your receivers. If you want to only throw at a pro day, then so be it. I think you're smart doing it. To be at the combine zone, the different receivers, you can't get in any rhythm throwing the ball. So it's not going to hurt you, but if you want to optimize everything and maximize everything, uh, the pro day is where you want to do it. Be sure to check out Mel's latest mock on ESPN.com. Follow him on Twitter at Mel Kuyper ESPN and check out the First Draft Podcast. Always doing great work. Mel, be safe. Have fun, man. We appreciate you. Take care, guys. Enjoy it, man. Take care. Great stuff from Mel, as always. There's an interesting nugget that makes this year's combine different than what you've seen over the last few years. I'll tell you about it. Plus, there is one major reason why, to me, the Bears shouldn't take any offer to leave the top overall pick. I'll tell you why. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. The scouting combine is underway this week in Indianapolis, which means a ton of draft talk, a ton of teams talking to each other about the future, and hopefully some insights as to where players like Aaron Rodgers want to end up next. But there's one thing that makes this year's combine a little more different than what we're used to seeing. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Over the last couple of years, there's a trend, and that trend has gotten even bigger, of teams not sending many of their coaches to the Combine, Harry. And it's interesting because at this point, I think there's two sides to it. One is that teams just feel like, why are we there? If it's just to meet and and mingle, then that's not important. And number two, you never want to let what you're seeing at the Underwear Olympics be bigger than what you've seen on tape. So it feels like some teams are trying to trust the tape more. But that's an interesting development here when we've got quarterbacks that are either going to throw or be measured and a lot's going to be made of it. It does need a little bit of context that there are several teams that have decided to not even send their coaching staffs other than the main representatives simply because it's not that important to them what we see here. So it's a change in thinking around what will happen at the combine. And I think it's all about, you know, as an organization, how you feel about it. Uh, because I think they're going to do their due diligence one way or another, right? Whether it's right. at the combine, right. whether, you know, it's, uh, it's already started at this moment. And they're going to go to a lot of these players' pro days, and they're going to be able to see these individual workouts up and close um, and see how these guys, you know, you know, perform, you know, with a little bit of pressure on them and the drills that they may need them to see that, that they do with their own team. So, I mean, that's what a lot of these teams bank on nowadays. And, you know me, I went to the combine, but I never, never was a big fan of it. Um, it was exhausting. Uh, you, 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 you didn't eat the proper way that you, that you wanted to eat. You're in meetings all night and you're supposed to just get up there and go ahead for the dog and pony show. I mean, I was thankful to be there, but I'm not going to say it was the best experience for me. Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of players I've talked to that went through the process echo the same sentiment you said there. And uh, what's interesting about the bears is that there's this presumption they're going to trade out of number one. And right now, to me, I think that's a huge mistake. Now, partially because I'm quarterback risk-averse. We know that. And the, the, the Bears have made it clear. They have their quarterback in Justin Fields. This isn't about Justin Fields. It's about Jalen Carter to me. And I know that there are a lot of, of quality defensive players in this year's draft. And, and your belief is going to be that you can drop down and still get one of them. 
All I'm saying is that what I said the other day was you got to trust the scouts of your favorite team. If the scouts of the Bears right now are looking at Jalen Carter and saying he's Aaron Donald good, he's the best defensive line prospect to come out of Georgia in years, he is that guy. If you have the chance to get that guy, I don't know how far you can dip and still get that guy. I wouldn't take the risk. If I think there's an absolute definitive defensive playmaker on that side of the ball that's a difference maker from day one, there is no chance in hell I'm trading out because I do at some point need that guy to be there for me. The Bears may have a chance at that, and they could lose it by trading down. Well, see, I'm up in the air with it because, you know, I think it's either Jalen Carter or Will Anderson Jr. And we got to remember, Will Anderson Jr. is a guy in three years at Alabama fits. He had 34 and a half sacks. And I'm not even going to talk about the tackles for loss that he was able to acquire within that time frame as well. So he's another dominant force defensively. But I love the fact that these two guys are, are getting the praise and the hype that they actually deserve because I know a lot of teams love wide receivers, and wide receivers are very important, but everything starts up front, right? And if you can't protect your quarterback, on the flip side of it, defensively, you better have someone who can go get the quarterback. And both of these guys are able to do that, and they're able to do it at a high level uh, to, to put them teams in a position to be successful and win games. Uh, I will also say there is, you know, other guys in this draft but if you're Chicago, you don't want to move further back than number four, right? Because you potentially still have a chance to get one of those two guys. That's the hardest part about it is that I'm still, I'm still sort of shooketh, as I love to say, uh, by what one of our insiders said to me a long time ago. And now I've had a couple other people tell me that Houston doesn't really love any of these quarterbacks. So even in going down to four, there's still a chance in my mind. Like, I, I think when you and I are covering the draft night one, and we'll be covering along with uh, several other of our buddies, we will be covering the draft for ESPN on digital platforms. Uh, really proud of that show. I believe the first four picks off the board are all going to be quarterbacks. I do believe that. I, I cannot believe I'm saying that, and I understand how stupid that sounds. It just it feels like teams are too desperate this year to let it go. That being said, if I'm the Bears, I'm scared to death that I move down to four to Indy, and all of a sudden the Texans look around, they're like, I don't really love any of these quarterbacks, but I do love me some Jalen Carter. And then all of a sudden you're sitting at four, and you're like, oh, God. you know what I mean? Like so, yep. And then everybody that's looking to move up ahead – of the Bears to try and get Will Anderson. And before you know it, they sat at four and, and the quarterbacks have fallen and uh, the Bears didn't get what they want. That's the, the weird chess match of the, the, the way the dominoes fall. Well, here's the thing about the Houston Texans that, you know, I feel personally, when you look at their roster, they need a quarterback, right? And rightfully so. Do you take that chance on a defensive player versus a quarterback, a guy that you need to galvanize your franchise and also be the face of it? Because when you look at the Houston Texans right now, who's the face of the franchise? No, they don't. Have we, we don't know. Yeah, they don't we don't know one. that you you have to be able to get one in that position, and I, we also would know by the time the draft arrives what their plans were quarterback wise. Because by then, if they were going to get a quarterback free agency wise, they would probably have signed them by that point on I, before draft night. You're a thousand percent right, and I, I'm just telling you this right now. You know, I already told you that it, when the Raiders go on the clock, when my beloved Raiders, when the team that I have a tattoo of goes on the clock, right? When the, when the Raiders are there, every year they put that camera squarely in my damn face, right? This year I'm going to pull out a bottle with no label on it because the bosses have said I'm not allowed to drink <laughs> on air. And it's just going to be clear liquid. And if everybody wants to believe that that's clear liquid is water, good on you. I, I support all of you. And I'm just going to pour myself a little shot of this clear water. We're going to call it water. 
and I'm just going to get through that draft pick. But I'm telling you right now, if for some reason, somehow, some way, there's a trade up even, if there's somehow, some way that I can end up in a world where Max Crosby on the defensive line is standing next to Jalen Effin Carter, I might try and do an actual backflip <laughs> on air. I've never done a backflip here. You might have to pick me up. I might hurt myself, but I might try and do a backflip. That's how much I love Jalen Carter in this draft. Like Sometimes the draft takes easy things and makes them complicated because of the position he plays, and it's not a quarterback. People have made Jalen Com- Carter complicated. To me, it's not. Well, check check this out, though. And what you just said is is – 100% right. But I want to go back to the Houston Texans. Do not underestimate the due diligence that they have done on Bryce Young. We got to remember, they drafted John Mechie third at the wide receiver position. So mm. that's that's somebody they probably watch over and over again. And don't think for one minute John Mechie third is not, is not putting that bug in there either. Oh, yeah. It's a great point by you. And the Texans, I think, need a quarterback. If they fall in love with any of them, go get one. In the meantime, we'll keep you updated on those measurements whenever we get them on Bryce Young because that will be all the focus. Brian Gutekunst, the GM of the Packers, spoke today, addressed Aaron Rodgers' future. We'll tell you what it means next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. 